Welcome back to Payday, the first podcast for global payroll professionals. I'm your host, David Baraka. We see a lot of organizations really taking a step back and creating their global landscape and determining, am I going to keep 18 vendors? Can I get this down to less than five? Can I get this down to two? They're looking at it from from that particular point. You don't want to have 18 manual loads from all these various systems because all it takes is one person to be out sick and someone forgets to do an upload and now you have ruined payroll for the many. In this episode, I'm joined by Kelly Roussein from the Hackett Group. We discuss how COVID-19 has exposed weaknesses in organizational business continuity plans with a specific focus on the payroll function. Typically, payroll organizations have not been very agile and not had great standardized testing approaches to configuration changes to be able to quickly turn things around. Uh, And during the pandemic, absolutely. Mm -hmm. We saw country changes, state changes, and it's kind of coming from everywhere. Kelly, welcome to the Payday Podcast. I understand this is your podcasting debut. Yes. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And, you know, the genesis for this conversation was some of the research you've recently done for the Hackett Group about what COVID's exposed about the global payroll space. And I think it made for a great read, and I think it'll make for an even better podcast. So thank you for joining us today. I thought maybe we'd start, Kelly, with just a little bit of an introduction on you and what your role is and what you're focused on. Uh, So can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, So I am the Global Time to Pay Practice Advisory Leader at the Hackett Group. So most people know the Hackett Group for their benchmarking, uh, but not necessarily that they have an advisory practice or transformation services as well. So what I do is I help a lot of organizations with their payroll strategy, process optimizations, using a lot of Hackett's IP. Um, But the great part is, is I get to do a lot of payroll performance studies and research uh, to enhance that IP and really get to spend a lot of time talking to clients and helping them through their processes. So it's not that I'm just necessarily pushing research out there. I actually get to have great deep conversations that make meaningful impacts to other organizations. So so why is this something I, I always like to ask this question? Why is this something you're passionate about? So I've always loved process improvement, um, spent most of my career in shared services, uh, mostly in the finance space through accounting, AP, and I ended up in payroll and just really loved payroll and, and all that it has. Uh, it's so dynamic. You get to do something different every week in payroll, right? It's never the same. Um, and so when I have the chance to, to do process improvement, have conversations and still work within the payroll space, that, that's where I'm the happiest. That's the passion, process improvement, continuous optimization. Yes. Perfect, perfect. So um, you joined the Hackett Group relatively recently. Yes, I've been there just about a year now. So the article that you published on the weaknesses in payroll that have been exposed by the pandemic, can you talk a little bit about how you went about collecting the information to inform the research and what were... The broad categories, I know there were seven, but if you could maybe broadly categorize what were those seven uh, that you felt that, you know, came out of your conversations and really demonstrated some of the maybe, you know, opportunities for improvement in the payroll space. 
So I joined the Hacker Group last November, and prior to that, I was leading a payroll organization, um, and I was in the midst of all of these processing pieces. So I knew a lot of what was going on um, from a payroll leadership perspective. And so when I had first come into the Hackett Group, I really had my first 90 days before COVID really hit, right? And so I had a great opportunity to have dialogue with a lot of our members, um, because part of my role is to set up a you know monthly or quarterly call. What are you working on? What are your struggles? Mm-hmm. And really advise or help provide you know data inputs of what other organizations are doing. So I already had all those standing meetings to have those conversations. And it just so happened COVID hit and people were really looking for help. Um, They weren't used to being so digital. They didn't have business continuity plans. And so a lot of the things that I had experienced as a payroll leader, I started seeing, but seeing across lots of organizations. And so myself and a few others on the Hackett team really stepped back and said, well, what are some of the trends that we're seeing? And we weren't surprised. We'd seen these things just by going through our transformation projects, living it you know, through our own experiences. But what we found was executive teams were now noticing. And so that's why we say they were exposed. I, I don't think that these are any new weaknesses that weren't there before. They're just now exposed to other parts of the organization because now there's more, you know, thought or insight into what, you know, payroll is doing. So when we take a look at the seven weaknesses, we talk about lack of continuity plan, business strategy, digital automation, bad data, being agile, compliance changes, and single person dependencies, right? And so it's really taking a look at the overall operations that you have. So when it comes to single person dependencies, what we're finding and having conversations about is a lot of organizations are very lean. They're working in a local environment where they may have one person who knows that process, who's been doing that process for good number of years Mm -hmm. and there's no backups. And so if that person was to get sick, how do you then turn around and complete payroll, right? You can't just miss a week of payroll or a month of payroll. What if it was your key and critical times? And so we were really seeing a huge concern with single person dependencies. And with that, there's a lot of conversation of, well, when we move from a, a local environment to a regional environment, how can we better utilize our teams to be backups? And so there's been a lot of conversation and research done on what does a virtual team look like? How can we help cross-region, cross-country? And then what are the complexities of doing that, right? Because there's always been this, well, we have one single payroll application in a country, or there's local country expertise that we need. And so now companies are really starting to take a look at, well, what can we do to mitigate that risk? How does that single country dependency or single person dependency, I should say, how does that play out when you move to a regional model, but you still have to find that talent in a specific country? How are companies starting to navigate that in light of the pandemic? So they're taking a look at kind of a hybrid approach, right? So use your resources. How many vendors do you have, right? Do you have a vendor um, that maybe is in France, but other parts of Europe, right? So can they help you with some of that expertise? Can you move some of those standard repeatable processes into a shared service environment within region 
and still keep that subject matter expertise in country, but use them more as a SME or a go-to versus just having them be the only person that knows or understands the process. So there's more and more processes that we're seeing move from local into a shared service model or global business services model. But we're not saying you have to take away all that local expertise that brings a lot more risk into your process by doing so. But you can start taking a look at your landscape, right? Because like I said before, you know, there are a lot of vendors who have relationships in multiple countries. So if you're partnering with one global vendor, mm-hmm. it makes it that much easier to have consistent processes. You know, there, there were obviously six others that I'd love to, to get your thoughts on as well. But one of the things I want to pick up on, you mentioned that a lot of these weren't surprises to you and other um, members of the Hackett group and to many practitioners, but it became something that maybe senior leaders in the organization started to notice, even outside of payroll. What's been the reaction of those C-suite or leadership executives that have not typically looked at payroll with that kind of scrutiny, perhaps? What's been the reaction that some of these issues started to bubble up and you know, the role of payroll has become even more critical in a time like this? Yeah, I would say it is definitely becoming more critical. Uh, one of the examples we saw was not being able to provide analytics reports. So it was very important towards the very beginning of COVID. Well, how many employees do we have? Where are the employees working? Are they working full-time? Are they on a sick leave? Um, And so payroll really had to work with their HR teams to get these lists together. Well, companies who are on 20, 30, 40 different payroll systems, as you can imagine, they were telling their C-suite, this is going to take a day or two or three to compile and get it accurate. Mm-hmm. And then when you're making these key business decisions that have to be made on the spot and be made quickly, they're not able to turn around that reporting as fast as one would like or one would hope. And so we saw this increased look at the data quality that we have and the lack of analytics um, within the payroll space. And, and it's really interesting because payroll has so much data. You take a look at the scheduling, the timekeeping, and you marry that against your HR data and your finance data, you can make some really good key decisions. Um, But a lot of times we weren't able to act quick enough because we had so many systems across the globe. And we were also finding that organizations that didn't have one global process owner for payroll struggled as well because there wasn't one person that that C-suite could go to and ask okay, I need this information, this information. What are we doing? How are we paying people? Is virtual working? Are we going to miss any deadlines? And that just wasn't available. So we are seeing the movement there. And, and is that typically a global head of payroll or are, are they going to regional heads? How's, how are you seeing that? It's typically global. Um, there could be regional operation leads that report up, but there needs to be one person who really owns that vision and that strategy. And the Hacker Group really does promote that that global owner owns both payroll and workforce management. And why is that? So workforce management, you know, your time and attendance is such a major input to your payroll operations. And so when you're taking a look at your strategy, a lot of the operations, the errors, and the output are dependent on workforce management. And so having those two partner together and really having one single point and global owner makes um, 
that more of a streamlined process. Yeah, and I, I think we were recently involved in a bid with uh, with a pretty large multinational company. And when we were mapping the data sources that they use to process payroll, I think, you know, typically organizations or people that are not actively involved in payroll might think, well, you're going to get most of the data from the HR system. Um, and maybe there'll be local payroll requirements that you might be able to gather from a one or two other sources. But as we did the data mapping with this organization, we found that they used 18 to 20 different systems that needed to feed into payroll in order for them to be able to process any, any single payment. And it was just frightening. And this was before the pandemic. How do you think an organization that was starting from that kind of integration landscape before the pandemic how do you think they emerge after the pandemic and what expectations, what processes do they put in place to make sure they're better prepared in the future? Yeah, so we see a lot of organizations really taking a step back and creating their global landscape and determining, am I going to keep 18 vendors? Can I get this down to less than five? Can I get this down to two? Um and they're looking at it from, from that particular point. You don't want to have 18 manual loads from all these various systems because all it takes is one person to be out sick and someone forgets to do an upload and now you have ruined payroll for the many. And so it's, you know, it can be costly to do these implementations. And so organizations are taking a step back and saying, well, what are the risks? not only just compliance, but what are the risks of us not having the automation, not having the reporting, and not having the productivity behind it? Um, you know, the payroll data can provide so much more than just how productive your payroll team is, but it also can talk about how productive your whole organization is and how to minimize overtime and costs across the organization that most companies haven't considered before. Um, but it is another way to help that business case. And so, a lot of organizations right now are saying, okay, we've gone, we've looked at our business continuity plan, we've survived working from home in this virtual landscape, which we didn't think we could do before because most payroll organizations didn't think they could work mm -hmm. remote. Yeah. <laughs> um, and now they're saying, how do we fix it? Because this is not going away. And just, just looking at the list of some of the other items you had called out, and again, many of them were not surprises to you, but I'm kind of curious how senior leaders, maybe in the finance, HR, or even technology functions within the organization may have reacted to this. So the first one you called out is a lot of outdated business continuity plans. You talked about no cohesive global payroll strategy, very low levels of automation, lack of digitization. Can you talk about that a little bit more? What does that mean? So we still have a lot of payroll organizations going to the office to get mail. A lot of organizations are still not doing their tax filings electronically uh, or their tax payments electronically. I know in the U.S. we still don't have 100% electronic payment, although the pandemic has definitely helped push that number. And we're seeing an increase in immediate pay and ACH and pay cards, which is great. Um, but we still have a lot of checks out there. And so every time you take a look at a process that has paper, you know, someone's manually touching that. It's more costly. Um, and 
you know, we need to start looking at OCR and, and how we can really enable our teams to work in this virtual environment. When we took a look at um, the amount of paper, you know, how do you get something DocuSigned? Right. A lot of companies were still doing manual signatures for ACHs and, and other files. Well, they needed to move away from that. Um, a lot of them are looking at how to move their garnishments into a central mailing system where they get loaded to a centralized site so they can be worked. So we are seeing paper go away to an extent, um, but a lot of companies are still pretty far behind in getting where they need to get. They're not using workflows we're starting to see an increase um, of more digital processing. The other one you call out is slow response to compliance changes. And one of the things we saw a lot of countries do over the course of the pandemic is institute a number of different changes that I remember even our customers coming to us for daily updates on, well, here's a new requirement for this country and that country. So the speed with which the payroll organization has had to absorb and implement changes is really accelerated from a compliance standpoint. How do you see that changing its response to compliance and how they monitor compliance overall as we emerge out of the pandemic? Yeah, I think payroll organizations did a really good job at this one. I mean, typically payroll organizations have not been very agile and not had great standardized testing approaches to configuration changes to be able to quickly turn things around. Uh, and during the pandemic, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We saw country changes, state changes, and it's kind of coming from everywhere. Companies are really starting to look more towards their vendors to help with that global compliance. They're looking for centralized places to track and identify where there's compliance changes. And this is where moving to the cloud has really helped a lot of organizations um, because a lot of those changes are made within the system and the standardized testing behind it is very helpful. Those organizations that didn't have a good global compliance and monitoring and tracking program really struggled. This is the first time most organizations have processed furloughs. So to mm-hmm. try to understand that end-to-end process, implement it, and ensure that there were no issues with payroll was a huge task for most to do. But definitely looking towards their vendor partners to help out more in this space. And one of the things you mentioned in the article is that there's even been a push to minimize the number of pay cycles. Yes. And, and I'm just curious, do, do you mean actually reducing the number of payments you're making to employees over the course of the month? Or do you mean reducing supplemental runs uh, that may have been causing, you know, extra processing, operational overhead? So we're seeing both. Uh, We are seeing companies that maybe had a weekly move to biweekly, or if they had a semi-monthly and a biweekly, they're trying to do it just all Mm biweekly so that they're not processing payroll every single week. Um, there's considerations for using immediate pay to help bridge some of the gap when pay cycles are moved. Mm-hmm. We are also tra- seeing a trend to reduce the off-cycle payments, but a lot of those are based on regulations. So if you are required to pay someone and you've underpaid them, you need to do that based on the requirement and the legality of that. So a lot of companies are now taking a look at their end-to-end process and they're trying to eliminate the root cause of why they have so many of those off cycles mm-hmm. and, and reduce those. But there are other options. We're seeing that, you know, if you've paid your off cycles in the past via check, they're moving those to 100% electronic. Mm-hmm. So there are definitely some pluses, but 
a lot of companies are trying to figure out how to reduce the number of pay cycles because it just costs that much more to be processing payroll on a weekly basis. Yeah. And, and I think that this is, you've mentioned instant pay a couple of times and, you know, that's that getting paid a little bit early, right? Based on the accrued yeah. wages. I think that's such a fascinating space in general because it caters to the needs of the employees where they may want funds available just for emergencies or even as they move to virtual working environments, right? Buying a desk, buying things to, to set up in your home office. You didn't always have the luxury of waiting until your company processed your next payroll cycle. So I think it, it's a really interesting space as it caters to the employees, but at the same time, it really allows a company to harmonize their payroll cycles. So maybe they're running them on a monthly basis everywhere they operate or semi-monthly instead of doing those weekly runs. So do you see that COVID's kind of becoming a catalyst for that change as well and the adoption of on-demand pay uh, really skyrocketing in certain regions? Yeah, I do expect on-demand pay to increase. I mean, we take a look back in March, right, and everybody's running to the grocery store. Well, if you were the person who didn't get their paycheck until the following week, you know, that gave you more of an incentive to sign up if that was something that your company made available. Um, it's also helping a lot of companies with their inquiries, increasing their electronic pay um, and providing those pay stubs for employees. So that's more of that digital. So there are a lot of benefits to both the employee and the employer. So I do expect that we're going to continue to see that um, both in the U.S. And, and it'll start growing internationally as well. That concludes part one of my discussion with Kelly. In part two, which is already available, we talk about the speed of change that COVID has required of payroll teams, how some payroll organizations have adapted to virtual work, and how you can build a business case for change. Tune in to part two to hear more of our discussion.